back to Ranking 76, where we review and rank the heroes and villains of the American West. I'm Eric. I'm Matt. And we're back. Hey. We're back. Let's go. We're doing the thing we said we would do, I don't know, three weeks ago when we recorded. <laughs> hey, life happens. Life does happen. And, you know, uh, don't get food poisoning. That's what I will tell you. It's not fun. I've only had it once, and it was absolutely terrible. And oh. you always associated it with the last thing you have eaten so i was never able to go back to that restaurant again i mean i still want to go back because it was delicious and truth (laughs) be told i i work in the food industry and for someone who could literally teach uh food safe food safety classes and have done so before i looked at it and was like well that's suspicious but it looks really good (laughs) what was it it was meat right no, just a piece of filet mignon from a Brazilian grill. Little little <laughs> oh, tiny piece. Right, it was super right on raw, the right? Yeah, and you know, you look at it and you're like, yeah, like I, I can take that. And it was good. But so hilarious. Um yeah, this is looking pretty sketchy. Ah, I'm gonna taste it anyways. I know better. I'm a food professional. Well, two weeks later, Eric still has an upset tummy. <laughs> he got through it. Anyway, I lost like ten pounds. Which was good, so <laughs> take that as a win. But anyway, elephant in the room. And I just, I need to set a scene for everyone listening at home. I want everyone to, not if you're driving, but I need everyone just to close their eyes very quick. And I need you to just imagine you're sitting at a bar. And there's a lot of excitement, a lot of commotion, a lot of laughter going on. People are having a lot of good time, having some fun and some good times. You hear trivia night going on in the background. I know where you're going with this. And everyone <laughs> is just clicking. A lot of smart people in this room. It's the grand championship. Final round. Like, and here's Matt sitting at his table, just <laughs> eagerly waiting for his trivia night. And the quiz master yells out, final question. How long? was the OK Corral shootout. And Matt, sitting there very excitedly, shoots up his buzzer hand and yells to the entire room, <laughs> Matt, what did you say? Uh, I said eight minutes. <laughs> no, my exact wording was, my exact words were, oh, it was really short. I would think it was something like, what, eight minutes? <laughs> really short. <laughs> Now, what do you have to say for yourself? Um, So it was actually 30 seconds. And to be fair, I did say, I did message you right after and say, man, I am an idiot. A lovable one. Oh, no, I think I said, I think I said, you're going to be mad at me. (laughs) I wasn't mad. I was just disappointed (laughs) since that was literally the last recorded biography we did. It literally happened. And it literally, to make matters worse, it happened. So we recorded on like, what, a weekend or something? It happened that next Tuesday. So, (laughs) because because the only reason the question was up, you said it was like the anniversary. Yep. Yes, it was. I just have one thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. I, I, I almost took this to the next level, and I was going to think, and I was going to come up and Google search of things that last eight minutes. Uh, 
but I have a feeling that list would be very dirty and I, yes. I don't want to explain that search to my wife. So <laughs> in trivia, every time a history question comes up, if it's American, I always ask you about it. And if you can't grab it, I always ask Jerry, but you guys, I mean, it's not, I can't cheat. So I can, I always have to ask you after the fact. Well, also, if you want to embarrass me now, I may have thought the uh, Camp David Peace Accords were definitely not about Egypt. You got one of the two. Yeah, that was funny, though. Oh, I know it's definitely not Egypt. <laughs> it was Egypt. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm pretty sure Jerry was able to answer. Uh, he told me who was involved, the, like, <laughs> like what it was between and what happened. He's an incredibly smart man. Um, anyway. I think that's enough banter for this morning. It's actually 7.30 in the morning. My wife is asleep two rooms over, so I don't think we'll be hushed. But uh, just You have no that problem. voice right now of like, uh, like a sleep app. Close your eyes. Count to 10. Breathe in. It's, it's, it's lovely. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that. I'm putting you to sleep already. <laughs> Will that be eight minutes, too? <laughs> Anyway, we're, I don't think we've mentioned who we're talking about today. We are talking about Cochise of the Apaches. What have you heard about Cochise, Matt? Um, I remember his name. You do, probably from the county, because I think they come up uh, quite a bit during elections, if I remember right. I think Pima County comes up more, but I think Cochise County is like the second biggest county in the state of Arizona. But Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. But don't you... There's a brief... I remember a brief, uh, do I? Maybe you just mentioned the history books. I do. I'm a bit surprised you knew at least the name. So maybe he's in like uh, some Westerns my dad watched growing up and I just caught the name. It could be. The Apaches are definitely a famous tribe. So I could definitely see somebody portraying them in a movie. Mainly it's Geronimo though. But definitely just like Tombstone. I mean, I'm not kidding you. There are seven eight people in Cochise's uh, little script I have in front of me that could get their own episode so I mean just like I mean it's incredible how much is going on in the American Southwest at this time it's just chaos Geronimo was um an Apache as well correct correct and actually how this will kind of work and why I piece these two together is they really kind of like hand the baton off to each other not really, at least like where their stories pick up. Uh, mm. I don't think they actually spent a lot of time together. But what we'll find out about the Apache is they don't like to talk about anything, especially <laughs> in the past and especially if the person is dead. So, oh, that's they just consider it a case closed kind of thing. Uh, I think it's I think it has more to do with religion than it does anything else. But they really they really don't look back in the past. Um, and I can. I mean, it's they're fascinating, but all of the sourcing is really. Uh, this has been true for most of the podcasts, anyway. Most of the sourcing is going to come from Americans or Mexican sources, so keep that right. with a huge pinch of salt. But the Apaches are hyper violent, and oh, I think really hyper violent. Um, I think you'll you'll understand by the end of this episode. So. Uh, the way we're kind of planning this, this is probably going to be a part one of two. It's not that the word count is all that much. It's just that there is so little about Cochise until he's like 30 that 
there's a lot of necessary background I need to get through. So we're going to use this as a background episode with Coach East included. We're going to be talking about him as well. But really, the heavy hitting is going to come next episode. And I'm not kidding you. It is and I'm. it is probably the most violent episode we've had will be next episode. Holy crap. Okay. 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 Just barely over this episode, by the way. <laughs> Just barely. I really debated. So um, I will go into a little bit more detail. Uh, I'll touch on it. Like I'll give people a little bit of warning if they want to skip ahead. But uh, the Apache are no joke. They, they're very they, Are they brutal too? Yes. Okay. It's that you'll we'll see why don't we just get in? yeah yeah we'll get into it we'll get into it here we go here's what we know about cochise and his early childhood he may have been born in 1810 and maybe had three siblings his father is truly unknown although there are kind of rumors we'll get into that probably in about 20 minutes or so but he was likely born into a family of leaders but the rest honestly is kind of speculation or historians trying to piece things together or at least according to biographer Edwin R. Sweeney. For a young Apache, discipline and religion are taught as soon as the child could talk. A bow and arrow would be given to them around age six, and they would start hunting small game, and they would be expected to, when they get their first kill, not only would they need to kill the animal, they would then swallow its heart. Okay. So they would... uh... They would do the old tradition of first kill, you eat that. Eat yes. his soul. Yes. Uh, and that will apparently ensure more hunting success in the future. I can't imagine. Let's just say you're eight years old and you have to eat, I don't know, what's a good desert animal? Coyote. Coyote? Yep. Coyote heart. That's going to be fun. Raw, by the way. They're not cooking it. It's raw. It's straight out of the kill. Yeah, you just cut it out, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun time. And then, of course, they would play games like we've seen before with the Sioux. Uh, they'd play games like hide-and-seek, tug-of-war, wrestling, and racing were also favorites around the young warriors. I should also point out the Apache. We'll go more into this in Geronimo's episode because it's a little bit more appropriate. The Apache have incredible endurance, which will make a lot more sense as we get into this story. But we're talking they would run barefoot through the mountains uh, and they would be expected to go at full sprint with like a stone underneath their tongue be so that they had to breathe through their nose. What? And they would run for miles. That was their form of training? Put this stone under your tongue? Stone or they would put water in their mouth. And then you would have to show your mentor that you still had the water in your mouth. So you could only breathe through your nose. And this is how they would learn to run. So yes, they had a good set of lungs. They were also clever boys that when they were trying to run away from something, they would only step on large stones when they could. So they didn't leave a footprint so they could Uh... run incredible distances at on foot at fast speed and also disappear. Right. Their footprints disappeared. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's hide and seek champions of of the 19th century is what they are. (laughs) They're very, very good. It's going to infuriate everyone involved facing against them. Oh, because they would probably, I assume, just attack and then disappear. Yes. Where they go? Oh, well, we don't know. Are they ghosts? They are ghosts. And my farm is destroyed. And 
So are my children, unfortunately. They're again very hyper violent. By his early teens, Cochise would have been trained and would have been given a warrior. After the young fighter went on four raids, he would then be allowed to call himself a man inside of his band of Apache, and he could now marry. Hip, hip, hooray. Now he's like, I don't know, 17, 18. We've done that in about a paragraph and a half. (laughs) So now we're just going to go into some backgrounds. So the Apache, we kind of talked about this with Lakota. The Lakota are loosely uh, connected and not even that loosely. Like there's times where they do come together when they really need to a la battle of little bighorn. The Apache have that, but they're even less affiliated with each other. They're more, instead of brothers, they're more like cousins and half the time the cousins don't even get along with each other. So Cochise is actually part of the Chiricahua band, but also no, there's the Badonkahe, the Nedni, the White Mountain Apache. There's there's a lot going on there. All of them have very different motivations. And are they all friendly or do they typically go to war with each other too? Both. Again, it just depends. It's it's almost like having seven different nations that are kind of like if if states. Oh, sometimes we get along. Sometimes I'm going to go to war with you if we disagree. Right. right. What is the general um, population of the the all the tribes combined? Like, uh, is it in the thousands or hundreds? Yeah, it's in the thousands. I know. I want to say each band would have about two to three thousand, but also um, I'm kind of pulling. I believe I'm taking that from a proper source, but also I might be mistaken. So maybe nobody quote me on that. But we're talking a couple thousand in the area. Seven bands, so we maybe twenty thousand Apache. Maybe that's on the high end. So they pretty much cover quite a big portion of Arizona. Well, it's Arizona. They're also right across the Mexican border. Okay. Oh, so they're lower Arizona, like yes. Uh, but we should also point out that's modern day borders. Right now, it's just Mexico. Right. But the time we're talking about right now. Well, I guess right, right now it's Spain, about to be Mexico. And what we'll see about the Apaches is some major event happens just in time for them to uh, create more chaos. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like perfect. Like they were like the Illuminati, like making these things happen. And then the, the world blows up and then they're able to continue some things. So as Cochise is born, and again, there is speculation when he was born. Some say as early as 1800. The most consistent number you hear is 1810. So we're going to go with 1810. So the tribe, when Cochise is born, is in relative peace, which is rare because the Apache way of life depended on three things. Hunting, gathering, and raiding. I think there's going to be a prominent Apache in the next episode, if it's not even Geronimo himself. Their attitude is, well, you are slaves to the land. I'm just going to let you do all of the work. And, and I'm just going to take, take everything. Yeah. Yes, that's their attitude. Obviously, that's going to create some hurt feelings. So I cannot emphasize enough. We are going to talk about so many raids. Countless raids. You're going to be sick about me saying the words raid. They raided here. They raided there. So on and so forth. They would just take they would just take food and their stuff, or would they like take the over the land and 
they wouldn't take over the land. They would go back into the mountains, but they would maybe burn your ranch to the ground, maybe kill your wife and children. Yeah. All right. It's going to be hyper-violent episode. Not only are we taking everything, you're never getting it back. (laughs) No, you are not. So they lived near the modern-day Mexican border, kind of also straddling like the New Mexico border and the Arizona border. More on the Arizona tide, definitely. But even when you go into modern-day borders, and we'll get into this a little bit later, they also live on two Mexican border states' borders. So obviously you have Arizona, New Mexico. On the other side of the Mexican border, you have the Mexican state of Sonora, and you have the Mexican state of Chihuahua. So there's four borders, essentially, they can cross at any given time. One, an international border, one we get to it. Now that's a little bit ways off. So I think you can kind of see this perfect storm of how they can continue raiding. But anyway... As I said before, the Apache are broken up into seven bands and have been roaming along the modern-day Mexican-Arizona uh, border since probably the 1600s. Now, visiting, marriages, and parties were common, but again, they're very loosely affiliated. Sometimes they get along, sometimes they don't. While Spain controlled the areas in the mid-1700s to the 1820s, they established a system of handouts that will be eerily similar to the reservation system used by the Americans later in the century. The deal was that if the Apache would simply just stay on designated lands, Spain would hand them goods, rations, and importantly, weapons. What could possibly go wrong? So you guys stay here. We'll give you everything to leave and go destroy everything. Got it? (laughs) Now you behave. Here's some rifles. Here's some bullets. I mean, hey, I'm just throwing it out there. Let me just put a target on this guy's back if you know what you're thinking about, if you have any thoughts. Now, Spain in return, and this is going to sound super familiar, Spain would be able to build churches, establish trade routes, and would be allowed to be in the area without fear of constant Apache raids. Things are going relatively smooth until 1810, or until around Cochise's birth, and then the Mexican Revolution began. Over the next 11 years, Spain is dealing with the rebellion, and rations become a little bit sparse, which lead to the Apache thinking they can start raiding again, and so they do. Oh, so everything started to dry up, so then they're like, all right, we're just going to go back to how we were. Yeah, we're just going to start raiding. Okay, that's fine. You don't have meat for us? That's fine. We'll go take our own. Oh, it's yours too. Hmm. (sighs) Against the Spaniards, though. Uh, sp- well, it's th- you're going to find out they do not care. <laughs> oh, okay. So, again, these raids were brutal. I'm not going to go into every one. I might just touch on them lightly. But in brief, Apaches would come down from the mountains, take what they could, kill anyone that was in their way, and then just left in a blink of an eye. They were quick. Most of the casualties were between... I think I saw between three and seven. I think that was Edwin R. Sweeney. But under 10, we'll say about five. Every time they raid, just think five people may have been killed. That's a lot, though. Yes, it is. It's also, I don't know, about the size of your average family. So that's fun. Oh, so technically it'd be a family at a time. Like they just. Yeah. Family, farmhands. Yeah, it's not great. When Mexico won its independence, they quickly make a treaty with the Apache, similar to the Spanish style. However, the newly formed government has quite a bit, quite a few issues, as we've kind of talked on in the Alamo episodes. 
that Mexico itself isn't doing that well. It's not financially stable. Uh, to me, I believe what they lacked is they didn't really have a George Washington figure that brought them all together because nobody went against George Washington in early in early American Republic. Um, Mexico just didn't really have that. So there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of fighting. So which means when rations dry up again for the Apache, well, they're going to go a raid in again. By this time, Cochise may be in his early 20s. So we kind of continue this raiding throughout the 1820s uh, into the 1830s. Cochise, again, is in his early 20s and is kind of a towering figure, literally. The amateur cow was about five foot five to where Cochise at this time is said to have been 5'10". I think eventually he will get up to like 6'2". Oh, shoot. Okay, he's tall. Big man, apparently a long protruding like Roman nose, if you know what that is. Um, and it looks like he was just one intimidating dude. He was built like a Greek god is what it seems like. Now, there are no pictures ever clarifying this, but... Did um did the tribes like look at that as greatness? Like yes. when someone was like above them, like taller? To, like Yeah, I mean, it's no different than from today. I mean, I think we see a tall person. We think that's, well, at least that's impressive. If they happen to be articulate too, then, you know. Right, then... Holy moly, this guy's got it all. Yeah. Or, look at or gal. Okay, yeah. Well, here's the thing. All right, okay, so that brings up a question. How did they treat um, their women? You know, I don't know. I didn't really look that up. In my hand, if I'm going to speculate, and if you are of the Apache listening to this, please reach out. I'd love to know. I just never did look it up. I kind of get the sense it's um, kind of like a Spartan mother. You know, kind of the cup, here's your shield, either come back with it or on it type thing. Um, but I guess I couldn't really tell. No, I know obviously they do a lot of like the, not housekeeping, but they do a lot of the, the husbandry, things like that, raise the children. Um, they're also this, I don't talk about it at all, but there is, um, there is a drink that's like a small, uh, it's like a weak liquor. It's called Tesween. It's made from corn that they would make huge batches of it. And they would also have a lot of festivities like um i cut it out of this episode but like coaches like when they have their first steps there's a ceremony when they go on their fourth raid to become a man there's a ceremony when they basically do anything it seems like they they just like to celebrate so they had these huge batches of tesween but also tesween doesn't have a long shelf life so after two or three days, they would get obviously drunk, party, all that. I think after that, they would either get incredibly sick or its effects would be really strong. I can't remember which way that goes, though. Maybe I need to look that back up. Did they? So that was their. Was were they introduced to that? Like, uh, no, did that's, they, I that's believe they, they created it. it. That's their recipe. That's their own like little small brand liquor. But, you know, guys, we got to drink this fast. Ugh, just one more drink. No wonder that's where the just one more drink came from. It was already expired, but they wanted one more. One you know? more. So that's what you that's what you always say, you know, one more drink, and then it's the worst. That's it. That's that dang Tesween. I did actually look because I think they still make it. I was hoping there was like a commercial I was gonna send you something, we were gonna have it, but I couldn't find any like commercial oh, cool. So if you actually I'm not gonna offer up if you make Tesween at home. I'm not <laughs> I'm not drinking that. Please don't send us Tesween. <laughs> 
I'm sure it's. Oh, very I got nice. this weird, strange bottle. Like, let's take, let's take a couple sips. On the side, it just says bleach. I don't know if I should try that. <laughs> okay, as we said, Cochise is now in his early twenties and may already start be leading raiding parties, which, even with the debate on his age, would be very early for him to do. Um, it should also be noted that on these raids, the Apache are not intimidated by the Mexicans at all. In fact, years later, they would say they would actually save their bullets for the Americans, but for the Mexicans, they felt confident that they would just beat the Mexicans with rocks. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really... you're, You're not a threat. We just don't care about you, no. Kinda. And when you think of the mess the Mexican government is in... It's not not a great situation. In October 1831, the Mexican army still had some fight in them. The Mexicans would go on to attack and later gain a win against the Apache near the Gila River in 1832 because obviously Mexico City needs to respond to all of these constant raidings. More battles forced the Apache to the peace table uh, later that year. The peace treaty would then bring back the zones or the reservations. So they're kind of just copying what the what Americans are doing. Well, what the Spanish are doing. The Americans don't have the reservation system yet. Oh, believe, okay. It's 1832. So Andrew Jackson, I believe we're in trail of tears time in America, but that's halfway across the continent continent. Uh, we're in new Mexico. We're in actually like actually the new territory of Mexico, not new Mexico, the state. So again, the peace treaty would return the zones that the Apaches would be required to stay, which would force the Chiricahua to live near a nearby copper mine. So that's great. This system worked for about five minutes because Mexico still struggling to stay afloat itself. Also, it's the 1830s. The Alamo and the Texas Revolution are about to happen. Rations start to dry up again. So the Apache continue to raid. It's like just making uh, let's just get by for as long as we can before they start killing us again (laughs) oh damn it texas like you can almost (laughs) see like you can almost see like who's ever in charge of i I can't remember his name but uh bustamante i think president bustamante right at this time maybe i'm wrong um you can just picture him be like okay we have to deal with the apache what do you mean texas just rebelled (laughs) like we just we're finally can just no I don't want to deal with them. I need to deal with them. Who would have known breaking away, breaking away and starting your own country is tough, huh? Who would have thought? Here's Texas. Willing to do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they look at all the troubles Mexico's having. Let's do it. Yeah, let's just go ahead and try it. We can get away with it. And they did. And then they became, yeah, all that wonderful stuff. We still have more to talk about in the Texas Revolution. We still have Stephen F. Austin and Sam Houston to go over. And I really want to sneak in Santa Ana because I think he would be fascinating. He'd probably be about nine parts, though. So maybe we'll see what happens. Come along with us on this journey. Yeah. <laughs> Here's 30 hours. I'm just going to open up an audio book and I'm just going to I'm just going to play it for everyone. <laughs> Okay, so the reason we haven't mentioned Cochise a whole lot is because we don't really know what his movements are. In fact, we don't even really know if the 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 person they believe he is in documents, because he's only there's a chief known as Cheese C H I S, which Edward R. Sweeney and other historians have believed they actually meant Cochise, but that's as much as we know. 
Um, there is evidence that he is leading small bands into raids again, and it seems to be he must have been doing something really impressive. But that's really all we have. It's pure speculation. For the next three years, since 1831, over the next three years, a cycle of raids continue. And how is this going for Mexico at this point? Well, Terribly. they need... Uh, well, yes, it is. <laughs> they need to lower the salaries of their officers to help pay for new recruits. Oh, yeah, because that goes over so well. <laughs> I'm sure everyone was thrilled. Hey, oh, so we're going to stop paying you as much because we need to hire more people. <laughs> Is that okay? Cool. I, I mean, if that happened to me nowadays, I'd be like, awesome, perfect, great, can't wait. Yeah. Disappointed face. Didn't happen. Or they didn't like it back then. Still not a thing people like. And imagine with how much fighting they had been doing, too, because it's not like these officers are like uh, laying back they're in the field constantly and now you're telling me there's a pay cut thanks yeah, it's not like what the american uh or the military does now with their officers where they're just you know desk desk jockeys <laughs> okay i don't know this and i know you are in the military no they always get made fun of they okay. always get made fun of for being like you know in the background desk jockeys yep so after lowering officer salaries, the Apache become less and less of a priority, we'll say, which is going to be an issue. In fact, with what's going on with Texas, Mexico, in their dealings with the Apache, Apache actually stopped demanding for the stolen goods to be returned because they didn't have the men to enforce them to be returned. Was, um, what, did they not have enough men because they were dying? Or because uh, they were. Sp so we're talking Arizona, New Mexico area. Uh, Texas is rebelling right now. So they need. Oh, men that's in right. Texas. So they're maybe, they don't they don't have enough men to stay back. Right. In order to demand and if to, you, to get it back. And if you remember, we touched on it briefly during the Alamo episodes. Mexico doesn't have the infrastructure that the United States does. The United States doesn't really have it yet, but the United States at least has like a way to get to every state efficiently. Right. Mexico City is a ways down in Mexico, and now they need to come up to Texas and then also go to New Mexico, Arizona. Like that's a lot of area to cover. Half the reason Texas was able to rebel was that there were so few, the Mexican presence in Mexico was so few that they were able to do it. Okay. So essentially, what you have in New Mexico is you have like the negotiator probably just saying like as a good faith effort for just keep all the stolen stuff. It's fine. And then outside the tent, it's like a 13-year-old and Jimmy, if you remember Jimmy from the Custer episode, and that's all they have to enforce it. So like there's What am I doing here? What am I doing here? <laughs> Here's Custer. He's just looking over his shoulder for Custer, like, oh, <laughs> Is he here again? Is he here? Is he going to pantomime? No, he moved. That's why he's there, because he had to move so far away to stop getting harassed by Custer, you know? He's going by uh, Femi now. He just changed his first line. <laughs> he grew a mustache, which is also, if you remember, glorious red hair. Right. Glorious red hair. I was just going to say it's also red. Yep. Just a big red mustache. He won't stand out at all with a poncho. I like this, Jimmy. <laughs> 
So how do you get more men in a country when you are struggling financially? What possible alternative could you do to help deal with the Apache? Matt, do you have a suggestion? Hire American. Close. You're going to hire bounty hunters. I was going to say that. Dang it. I couldn't think of the word, though, so I just went, uh, Americans. Not only will they allow bounty hunting, uh, they're also going to have forced military service for citizens. So morale is really going well. (laughs) Everyone is so thrilled with these decisions. Welcome. Here's a rifle and a uniform. Good luck. If Mexican citizens were called, they had to help and aid to fight the Apaches. A bounty would be paid on every scalp collected on every Apache 14 years old and up. What? Okay. What? Like, what is the fascination with scalps? Like, <laughs> well, that's how you prove that you killed them. Oh, they I mean, it does like... eventually, it is eventually a revenge thing and it's going to be a reward. Like you took my, this person's scalp and now I'm going to take yours like eye for an eye type thing. Um, have you ever seen, maybe do a quick Google search. Have you ever seen, there is a scalping survivor, just put scalping survivor into Google. And, um, I believe it's a white dude. I can't remember his name, but he is much older in his picture. And it's, you can still see like the clear, like how deep they get. I can't remember his name. I think there's a McGee, Robert McGee. Oh, that sounds familiar. Does he kind of have some crazy hair outside of the large patch? It's like of hair? basically, yeah. basically the top of his scalp is bald with like a whole huge scar on the side, but like he has hair in the front and like a little patch on the back. So yeah, scalping itself is brutal. He was so. he was scalped as a child. Mm. Fourteen years and up, and they're going to uh, hunt every Apache with proof. So that's that's great. Good call, Mexico. And then they try more peace talks, and then there's more raiding, and then violence keeps escalating. In 1837, a proclamation from the governor of Sonora, I'm going to butcher his name, and I'm very suffer, sorry, but Escalante y Arusivu? I'm gonna, Arusivu? I, think, I think I turned him French. I'm very sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He would uh, say, quote, that the frontier towns were, quote, were helpless, and then also that the Apache were led by their natural bloodthirsty character. He then declared, quote, war to death to the enemy. They are very serious about dealing with the Apache now. It's so like it was just like a switch then from let's deal with them by trying to give them stuff to now they're going to die. I think you're seeing the end result of frustration. Like, do you remember at the end of Caddyshack with like Bill Murray has had it up to here with the gophers and he starts exploding the golf course. Yeah. I've never seen that movie. <laughs> what some consider one of the best comedies of all time. Matt, I'm the one that doesn't watch movies. Well, listen, okay, Um, it was just something I, it was too young, or I was too young, and then by the time it came around, I was like, eh, I'm not really that interested, you know? Oh, dear. Okay, well, our friendship just took (laughs) Uh, Join us, or I'm sorry, join Eric next week when he has a new host. host. (laughs) Let's not talk about your quick drop performance. (laughs) You're on very thin ice, mister. (laughs) 
So anyway, one of the scalp hunters was a an American who had been living in Sonora for a very long time. And he is either living under a fake name or his parents had zero creativity because his name is John Johnson. <laughs> Good old John John. J- uh, uh, double J. Uh, he is very interested in collecting these counties. Again, he has been living in Sonora with aid from the Mexican government. He sets out to find the Apache camp near the Animas Valley, Valley and enters a camp to trade with the Apache. Now, I should say there is debate on what happens next. Is that like, trade with a wink, wink? Like, yeah, let's trade. Wink, wink. I'm going to kill you all. Or is it out. like, okay, <laughs> let's find out, shall we? Yeah. Johnson and his men stay around for about two days. So it's now April 22nd, 1837. And that morning, Johnson sees Apaches that are on horseback, meaning that they either arriving or coming back likely from a raid. In his papers, Johnson self-reported that he was, quote, not feeling it possible to wait any longer to on account of the act of the mistrust and treachery. Johnson then opened fire with a cannon full of scrap metal, killing 20. Jeez. Now here's where it gets. Now here's where the debate starts. Everyone agrees Johnson opened up fire with a cannon, uh, and it killed about twenty men, women, children. According to Apache sources, though, be just before the cannon went off, they were approaching the carts to trade. They were actively just casually walking up as they had been trading with them for the last couple of days. So their records are saying that nothing happened. They were just walking up to trade, and he blew the cannon and not only that the cannon was concealed behind the carts when johnson opened fire oh right he had him hidden essentially yeah. like uh underneath in the in the wagons or whatever yes and there was no trading gonna happen yes it was an it was an ambush total by surprise where johnson is trying to paint the picture that he felt like they were hostile and that he opened fire at them kind of like fair game kind of thing they're on horseback what could we do you know there is debate on what actually happened. I think we also need to, I also need to point out the Apache are not also reliable narrators either. Right. They're not exactly trustworthy sources uh, for reasons we'll get into, especially in the second part of this episode. One of those survivors is a chief named Mangus Coloradus, who in himself could have his own episode. The man is a big deal. Quite literally, actually, he is six four and two hundred and fifty pounds. Jeez, he's just a mountain monster. Yeah, big, big <sighs> man. He has been—I don't want to say like he's probably the chief with the most influence at this point. He's about fifty or sixty years old, and unfortunately, there's just not much known about him prior to this. So, like, he and Cochise run a very similar timeline. In fact. Mangus is Cochise's father-in-law. Okay. But he, at this point, he's in his 60s? Approximately 50 to 60 years old. So he's been around a while. Yeah, he's been around a while. He's had a lot of influence. He is an incredible fighter. His name, if you type into Google Translate, his, his name gets translated into... Uh, colored sleeves. However, 
the name that he that what they actually meant was Red Sleeves. They don't know his Apache name, but the Mexicans started calling him Red Sleeves. Either he wore a red shirt or his shirt was so stained with the blood of his enemies, yep. they called him Mangus Colorados, which is honestly awesome. Like, I love that. <laughs> Horribly yeah. brutal, but... This dude was brutal, yep. The reason we're bringing him up here is that two of his wives were killed during this attack. Oh, and so he, he is there. pissed. Oh, he's mad. Uh, you now have a giant mountain of a man with significant influence, and you just angered him. The Apache, including Mangus and Cochise, hold on to the massacre as when someone once described the Apaches, once you cross them, quote, they go after everything, a troop of cavalry, a town. They are angry. They fight anyone to get even. Revenge raids start immediately, and by the end of the fall, multiple raids kill 40. A boy is kidnapped, cattle are stolen, and for the next two years, the Mexicans attempt to protect from Apache raiding. Desperate, Mexican officials implement another bounty system. However, this is for every Apache. Oh, they removed the restrictions. There's no like, Bring us whatever. No age limit anymore. Also, if it happens to be a woman, if it happens to be a child, that's fine as well. Now, to be fair, some did believe that the bounty was too extreme. But everyone could also agree that the Apaches needed to be dealt with. Wait, you're telling me there were actually decent people that were like, hey, this is a little much? Just a few. You can't just actively hunt children, you know? Maybe not the best look. Uh, maybe we should take a look at what we're doing, guys. Um, it's a little weird. And then they were immediately killed by an Apache. And then <laughs> that's how <laughs> the directors went. So the reason they needed to be, is like farmers and laborers would obviously just be working the field and then just instantly killed. And then their houses are destroyed. The farms are destroyed. Everything. So like things, things do need to change in the area. Like control needs to be had. Um even by 1840, poor crops are turned in because farmers wouldn't plant crops as they were too afraid they would become Apache targets. Uh, so they didn't want to do any of the work because that opened them up to dying. Yes. Once you had your crop, well, here come the Apache to take everything from you and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, it's not, not a fun time to just to be a farmer in Sonora or Chihuahua. It's not great. So now we need to enter a new scalp hunter into our picture. He is an Irishman named James Kirker. And Matt, I need you to do a Google because this man looks like a villain. How many did he end up killing? Oh, we're going to go into that. But what's his name? James Kirker. K-I-R-K-E-R. And don't look up anything else. I just need you to look up a picture. He is an Irishman, apparently with baby blue eyes. He looks like a crazy person. Go ahead and describe him. It's like he has like a longer hair that kind of curls at the bottom, big mustache. But the picture I'm seeing, his um, eyes are looking to the side like he's like, what's going on? For anyone familiar, Matt, I don't think you're going to know this. He looks like a methed out Kit Carson. Now, Matt, you don't I don't think you know about Kit Carson yet, but so he's going to Google him. But everyone just picture Kit Carson with longer hair and like really 
like dangerous eyes. Oh my god, yes, he does. Yeah, <laughs> it is literally like him with on meth. Right, you can imagine like him with years of drug abuse. Yes. So anyway, here's James Kirker. He had been in Sonora since 1831, but after passing of the new scalp bounty law, he dives, pun intended, head in. It is rumored that he would ev- he loved hunting for these scalps so much, he would scalp Mexican citizens and offer those to collect. So he was just killing everybody. He's killing just to collect the bounties. It has been five years since the McJohnson massacre. We've kind of skipped ahead for a bit. Some Apaches are ready to talk peace and make a deal with Mexican officials. They agree to a ration system just as they had before. And because it's worked out so well, they're going to try to continue the ration system again. What happened to him after the cannon incident? Oh, I did. For You're talking about Johnson? I think... Yeah. I think he ends up just going back to farming as if nothing happened. Or he became part of the Mexican army because we're about to see another major event is about to happen in the not-too-distant future. Okay. I just didn't know if um, Red Sleeve, good old Red Sleeve. No, I don't believe he was killed. There's no revenge tale for Johnson. Okay. You will be surprised to know that by the middle of the 1840s that the rations begin to run low again. Now, we have to kind of just touch on Cochise just for a bit because lest we forget it is still his episode there's just not much written down on him as I've said multiple times before but he had to have been a growing young leader under the mentorship of his father-in-law Mangus Coloradus and we can assume he was a well-respected leader of his warriors on multiple raids he would have had to plan and lead attacks it's just not know where or how many it should also be noted that Cochise does sometime come in for rations. Again, Cheese comes in. They're just assuming it's Cochise. The agreement is working. Like the the ration stage, the, the ration uh, agreement. Right, the fighting has stopped and scalping Some. for the most part. It's become less, but it's just barely. Both sides are basically just waiting to see who's going to blink first. Neither side trusts each other, rightfully so. One man, I imagine, blinking like super hard is James Kirker. Like, do you know like when a little kid... Get me back out there, get me back out there. (laughs) Do you know like when a little kid practices winking and they double blink really hard? (laughs) <laughs> that's what James Kirker is doing. Just waiting to attack someone like that's all he's trying to do is he just needs to. Why are you blinking all weird like that? No reason, but no, really. Why are you blinking like that? What are you doing? I'm waiting for them to blink first. But if I blink first, I can attack and then I can kill them all. Because <laughs> he evilly pets his cat. It's probably also methed out. In June, 1846, Kirker sees cattle likely killed by the Apache where he follows the tradle to Apache rancherias. He would later describe the areas as a place of, quote, kill or be killed. When he hears another scalp hunter had killed 18 Apache, well, that was enough for him. The agreement is broken. I can now I can now continue the, the killing. Yes, I can kill now. Good enough for me. I can maim and murder. Great. That's all I needed to do. Great. I can stop blinking so hard. Kirker doesn't just do an all-out attack because that would be too much, right? Like, why why face them one-on-one? They've been sneaking. I can be sneaky. 
So Kirker invites the Apache under truce for a feast. Oh, no. Did he poison the food? They go through the party, and they party all night. Kirker, among with a lot of citizens of Galena, the place where the party is being held, they wait for the Apache to go to sleep, where they then enter their tents with clubs and knives. And kill how many people? 130 men, women, and children. Die. Die. And their scalps because are done play because of Kirker and his ploy. Damn. Yeah. One of the rumored fathers of Cochise, because I remember I talked very briefly, there's not really known who his father is. Well, there is a rumor, there is speculation that his father of Cochise may have been killed in the Kirker massacre. <gasps> Coach, I mean, this story is just uh, your typical old revenge tale, eh? Revenge on revenge on revenge on revenge. It's just, it's really hard to keep track on who's getting revenge for what. I'm killing you because you killed them who killed them who killed them who killed them, yada, 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 All so the, on and so forth. The spiral just goes out of control. Regardless of if. Cochise's father was killed in this mass murder. Obviously, the Apaches will never trust the Mexican again. We also have to point out that John Johnson and Kirker are both. Uh, well, Johnson is American. He had been living in Sonora for some he time. Kirker was what uh, Irish? Irish. So two white dudes, essentially European descent dudes, not really Mexican. So start breeding that that little bit of mistrust into the Apache as well. And then guess what? After this horrible murder happens, the U.S.-Mexican War breaks out in 1846. So again, just as <laughs> just as they just as they basically throw a freaking cra- take a crap on Apache land. Well, now another major they have no one to defend it. Yeah, and now they need to go elsewhere because the U.S. is coming for land, and they want all of it. Right? You farmers, hold down the fort. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's essentially it. And the farmers are just like, are you freaking kidding me? Every time you want to protect us, either you kick Spain out of the country or Texas rebels. And now America is just attacking. Like, what is what are we doing? Can we go a decade without a major catastrophic event in this country? That would be wonderful, please, because we have some issues here. (laughs) So with the U.S.-Mexican War approaching, obviously, you're going to see a few more Americans in the territory, including Kit Carson, who comes along with the army, and they also talk with the Apache. But the Americans will have to wait to officially enter this episode because guess what? What? The Apache need to do some more raids. Gots to. And then there's more revenge from the Mexican government, who I think right now are just throwing sticks at them because they have no other resources to deploy. (laughs) Maybe they're just blowing on them with bad breath. Like, I don't think there's much they can honestly do. But you could argue that the Apache really do they ramp the territory. up? Do a, the Apache ramp up their oh, raiding? Then? Right. The Kirker massacre angered everyone involved. Yes, they are very, very angry. Okay. At the end of the U.S.-Mexican War, the Apache now have one more advantage, and we've kind of already alluded to it. There's now an international border 
between where the Apache live and Mexico. So now the Apache can cross a border, go back to the United States, and there's even less that the Mexicans can do about it. So not only are the Apache basically controlling and dominating the area, there's now even like the ranchers at this point, I think you just move. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. It's way too dangerous. Imagine living somewhere and just constantly in fear of death every single day. Being helpless. Now you also, we also, I haven't talked about this wrench yet. So obviously Mexico is still not developing, but there's still a fairly new Republic. There's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of tur- part of the issue is that the Mexican states of Sonora and Chihuahua um, don't really negotiate with the Apache together. They will negotiate a peace like Sonora will negotiate with a peace with the Apache. But then the Apache will just go raid Chihuahua. And then the Apache will make an agreement with Chihuahua and then go raid Sonora. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yes. little did they know it was just until their resources ran out and then they just would go back to the well, exactly. other one. Once the Apache started running out of food, now they need food, obviously, to live. However, I think I'm not saying anything outrageous here. You can't just steal and murder every time you don't run out of food when that's the system you have in place. Right. If you cannot sustain yourselves, I'm not going to jump on board of you being, "Ah, I'm just going to take theirs and kill them. So were the Apaches not hunting and gathering themselves or were they also doing that, but they relied too much on? They were. Because they still had, like, Tesween is made from corn. They still have, like, well, they're not really, that's not hunter-gathering. That's them taking. They're still hunting, but it's a mountainous area. There's only so many resources for everyone here. It's only so much land that there is. Yeah. Viable. So now you have Americans uh, who are going to be coming into the area because, uh, lest we forget how Tombstone got its name. It was from a silver mine. So there's definitely money in them, their whole, in their, them mountains. They're just not here yet. They're coming, but we're about 30 years away from Tombstone from the OK. Does that cause a lot more problems? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. (laughs) Because, and that's like, like we, like you've seen my notes. And I know you haven't, but when gold is discovered in California, that drains even less men in the area to defend from Apache attacks. Because if you can go to California, just pick some gold up and be rich. Great. Why am I fighting? Right. Why am I risking dying every day? Not making, not being rich. Yeah. There is no solving these raids. Cochise is likely with Mangus Coloradus in the Chiricahua Mountains, but again, Hard to really pick out where he is, despite then the Chihuahuan government implemented what is now called the fifth law. The fifth law, we've already kind of encountered it. It's just now you remember the bounty system, uh, the scalp, all of that. Well, they just up the prices. So you now get 200 pesos for each warrior killed. You get 250 for each warrior captured and you get 150 pesos for each female or male Indian under 14 captured 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 not killed not killed 
But if they happen to be dead when they show up, I mean, isn't that just the worst thing? You'll still get some money. Yes. And a wink. The the new law is also different because now any descent can take the bounty. Before, Americans were not really allowed, which would make sense when Texas rebels, America's on the other side of the border, but they're so desperate, they will even take American bounty hunters to bring them in. So anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. It's free for all. Yes. I feel like this episode is very repetitive, but repetitive in a new way and a little wrinkle every time. Like it's it's like a maze, and you just let's it, yeah. It's I'm very... surprised Apaches didn't just start killing each other and bringing in for the world reward. I don't think they did that, but some of the Apaches don't get along, so there's even fighting amongst themselves. Have I mentioned they're a violent tribe? <laughs> very okay. Yeah. Well, just once or twice though. I'm just still not. Twice. That poor horse that is already dead. I still need to keep beating it for a while, so (laughs) get used to it. By the mid to late 1850s, Cochise Hal has a growing family. He has three wives and four children, two of which we will talk about more later in Taza and Nietzsche. By 1858, Cochise has now had enough influence that he's the chief that most Americans will deal with. Now, I don't think we're there yet, but the Apaches actually live on a really important, or at least the Chiricahua Apaches live on a piece of really important land called Apache Pass. Now, obviously, we're in the mountains. There's only so many ways to get through. An Apache Pass is the most convenient and the easiest one to get it. And the Chiricahua Apache control it, which is Cochise's band. I don't believe it's happened yet, but he is allowing like mail routes and things like that to go through. Like he is he's dealing with that. So now this is Cochise finally realizing that. It may not be great to have an enemy on both sides of the border, meaning Mexico and the United States. So let's yeah, closing in on from you from the top and bottom. Yeah, that would be pretty sucky, especially when you're in like mountains surrounded. Yeah, like right. so they're going to play nice with the Americans and then just go, you know, kill some more Mexicans and take their stuff. But we're not going to talk about that. Hey, America, how are you doing today? Like it's right. Yes. Uh, It's not even clever, or it's not even, like, sneaky. Uh, Everyone kind of knew what they were doing. Now, more Americans are going to be coming because the mines in Arizona are now starting to pay out. I don't think we're at the Tombstone Mine yet, but there are some silver and copper mines that are going to see more Americans coming in. A deal is reached between Cochise and the Bureau of Indian Affairs agent Michael Steck. Again, Americans will be allowed to use the pass in return for rations and the promise, pretty please, to not attack anyone on the road. And Americans won't interfere with any raids in Mexico. (laughs) At this point, I'm going to do my best to not say the words raid in Mexico. Because now we can just start focusing on the Americans. Cochise, for the most part, keeps his agreement with the Americans. Maybe a raiding or party or two in in Arizona goes unprotected. But also the Chiricahuas are one of seven bands. So it might not even been Cochise's people 
who were actually doing some of the raids in Arizona. The Apache also have developed kind of a Jekyll and Hyde personality. They have a reputation of being angels when the rations are there, but when they're not in sight, their attitudes quickly change. Cochise himself isn't universally liked, as one Indian agent called him, quote, a very deceptive Indian, and, quote, he is the biggest liar in the territory, exclamation point. Nice. And he would kill an American for any trifle, provided he thought it wouldn't be found out. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, good. Mm -hmm. Don't go by yourself. (laughs) No. Buddy system, everyone. We can be killed together. The reality is a mixed bag. It does seem like Cochise is trying to keep some amount of peace or at least keep the Americans happy. But you also got to remember, the Apache's base is 100 miles away from a military post, and it's very hard to control uh, young men, regardless of their race, as we talked about during the Fetterman fight, during Crazy Horses episode and all of that. So some raids did happen, but it is believed that if a Chiricahua did a raid or was part of a raid, that they would be punished by Cochise and he made them return their livestock if it wasn't already butchered. And if, you know, they didn't kill them as they left. Right. Yes. You go return that right now, mister. Uh, they're dead. Yeah, they're dead. Oh, well, too late. I guess we'll keep it. See, and that's what the corner. And that's what you don't really know is, is he being genuine? Maybe he knew the livestock uh, could be traced back to him. And that's why he returned him. It's just not known. American trading posts would find out most, if not all, of the cattle traded by the Apache were stolen. I don't think that's surprising to anyone. Like, how right. do you have all of these herds and no grass to feed them? How did this possibly right. happen? And then I'm not going to touch on it too much because I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a warning here. Maybe skip ahead two minutes if you have a queasy stomach because there's a, an incredibly brutal section i need to get in here just because i believe it helps illustrate how ruthless the apache raids can be violence between the miners and the apache are kind of replacing the violence between the mexicans and the apache right as more and more miners come in and you have more young men american men coming in violence breaks out and each side almost take it as a challenge to see who can be more brutal Some hit the Apaches as hard as the Apaches gave back. Miners would ambush Apache rancherias and would kidnap Apache girls and sell them off into slavery. The more violent young American men would stab the bellies of pregnant Apache women. God, that is absolutely ridiculous. Atrocious. Yeah, to say the least. So... You're already, and keep in mind, like, obviously, the, these miners are not affiliated with anyone, but that doesn't matter to the Apache. Look what you just, and if, honestly, right. you can honestly see the rage. Like, you, this rage is understandable on, on this, dealing with the, with the miners. There's a lot of kidnapping going on both sides um, until it kind of comes to a head, and Cochise is very much in the middle of it. Is he the one given the orders or no, but this is where Cochise really enters our story for the first time because we actually have documented a well-sourced event that's going to make, that's going to set up his entire episode 
for part two. Okay. I do need to say the accounts are taken from men who were there, but decades later. So they are primary sources, but who knows how much has been embellished. Right. They're telling this story years later? Yes, they are. It began on January 27th, 1861, when two bands of Apache raided the ranch of John Ward. They stole 26 head of cattle and, more importantly, a 12-year-old boy named Felix. Two Americans noticed the Apache running off, or else they may have actually gotten away with it. They then reported to Fort Buchanan to First Lieutenant George Nicholas Bascom, who then sends out to find the raiders. John Ward believed the band belonged to the Apache Pass Tribe, a.k.a. Cochise's band. It is more likely that it was the White Mountain Apache that had kidnapped the boy, but regardless, Bascom's orders were re- would recover the boy regardless of where the trail takes you, and then, quote, demand the immediate restoration of the stolen property. Now, Felix Ward is... Going to be a big deal. He's actually going to be called uh, Mickey Free. Mickey Free could get also his own episode. Not going to touch on him too much, but he really is the center of what's going to happen for the next 30 year, 40 years. 30 years. Yes, 30 years. Bascom sends word to Cochise that if he had any information on the kidnap boy, that he should give it up or hand him over. He asked Cochise to come in under parlay to discuss the terms of how he's going to return this boy. Well, Cochise does not come in. And according to N1R Sweeney, it is likely because he sends runners out to get information on who actually took the boy. Oh, so he didn't go because he didn't know. He didn't know who took him. But he was looking to find out. Yes. Okay. But he does agree to meet with Bascom on February 4th, 1861. But not by himself. He brings his family with him, his wives and his children. Oh, no. Okay. At dinner, Bascom and Cochise are talking. Cochise denied having the boy, but he thought he knew who did. And if he would be given 10 days, he would do all he could do to return him. And Bascom agreed. But he didn't 100% believe him. And depending on the source, Bascom either let him go freely or ordered Cochise to be arrested. The story we're going to go with is a combination of a few different stories. Bascom told Cochise that he would be held prisoner until the boy was handed over, and that a sub-chief would be allowed to leave, but Cochise has to stay until the boy is back. At that time, Cochise may have taken a look around and saw just how many soldiers were surrounding him. And he breaks for it. He has a concealed knife underneath his underneath his gear. I can't remember what he was wearing. And instead of going out the front flap, which another subchief did, and he was quickly caught, Cochise made his own exit. He cuts through the tent with his knife and just books it. Eyewitnesses believe, again, many years later, that up to 50 shots were fired in Cochise's direction as he is fleeing. And in fact, it is so sudden when Bascom tells him he's going to be arrested that Cochise just breaks through everyone. It's almost like he's a fullback in football and he's just (laughs) crashing through the line. 
it happened so fast that Cochise was reportedly still holding his coffee cup when he gets up to the hill. <laughs> Cheers. Still have it. <laughs> <Hip hip. laughs> now, this event will be remembered as cutting the tent or the Bascom affair. Where was his wife and kids? Still there. So he's like, See you. <laughs> well, I think it was a sudden reaction. I need to get out of here right now. Everyone book it. Everyone else got captured. Only he, because he used his, he made his own exit that they were obviously weren't protecting. Um, and he was able to, to, to go. Now, in my mind, he totally did like a James Bond thing. He didn't run up a hill. He actually rappelled down a cliff. Like, and that's just how cool. And there was dramatic music and like bullets were firing everywhere. And it was really awesome. Using the leaves and branches and knife he found. Yes. He was using like a little mirror to like blind them into shooting. He was making bullets like go in opposite directions. It was it was really a defeat in my head. I do think this is a really cool moment. Like it's very simple, but I do like the thought of, oh, you want to arrest me? Okay, I'm gone. So anyway, later that day, Cochise returned to the top of the hill and demanded to see his wife. The soldiers responded by, well... Opening fire, fire up on him. Yep, they dang right they did. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, it's the only rational thing to do. Cochise raised his hand and yelled at the soldiers and swore revenge. Indian blood is as good as white man's blood. And also, that he and his tribe had been falsely accused, and that for the injuries inflicted on him, he would have revenge. He then fell back, vanishing into the hills. Dang, that's so freaking. I was about to say, Jason Mask then pulled over his face. (laughs) You will regret this. Mark my words. And then, like, I can just see the smoke just, you know, touch the ground and he's gone. Can you, he, you know, the impressive thing. What if he actually, like, whispered it? And like everyone could just like barely hear it. In their it felt like, no, it sounded like it was right next to their ear. He whispered it. What? Oh, even better. Cause he was actually there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the phantom of the opera is there. <laughs> I do love that. That is what I'm going with in my head. Inside the camp. Baskim orders everyone. Cause he does have some civilians in his camp. Uh, he orders everyone to just stay in sight because seriously, we just angered a really tall Apache leader who is probably right. wanting to come back for his wife and kids. And he's probably going to bring people, I imagine. Yeah, you would think. So, hey, everyone, let's just stick in camp. Two American citizens, however, think eh, it's OK. Eh, we'll, we'll Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's um, going to happen. I'm a bit thirsty. We're going to go get some water. Is that cool? And you can almost imagine, like, Bascom, like, are you kidding me? Like, how <sighs> stupid are you? Have you not been here for longer than five minutes? Do you know <laughs> what these people are capable of? So, nothing really happens for a couple of days. And Cochise asked for a conference, trying to get his family back. Bascom again reiterates that there is no deal that can be made without the return of the captured boy, which you can almost see Cochise going, but I don't have the boy. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, I can't control bands I don't have control over. And then he just screams really loud. Just as 
Coach East reiterates that he doesn't know where the boy is, they hear shots in the distance. Because do you remember those two American citizens? I thought they could just go get a drink of water. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. Ca- they're captured now. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have ever have seen that coming? <laughs> now, they're needed to hopefully bargain for Coach East's family back. But little did Coach East know that those citizens that walked off for the water, Baskin had told everyone in the camp, uh, if you're dumb enough to get captured, I am not trading for you back. So basically, you're on your own. You're on your own. If and you... those two geniuses were just like, you know what? I'm going to take my chances. I, you know, I think I can. I'm thirsty. Them. Yeah, I'm thirsty. I cannot run them. What's the worst that can happen? Great. So, Coach East comes to Baskin with the two citizens. He's like, nah, not going to happen. Go get the boy. So, Coach East is going back to the drawing board again. He then gets reinforcements from two other Apache bands, the Badonkihi, which, by the way, is the band that Geronimo is in, and he's very much alive in the background, and then the Chaconan Apaches, they joined together and now are now led by Cochise. There's a bit of a, of a joining up. Cochise now has at least some warriors that he can do as he sees fit. He might even be able to plan an attack. However, he doesn't want to attack Bascom because the first couple people who will be killed if he attacks will his family, be his family. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so going to have to find something else. He thinks he finds something on February 6th. And Cochise just watches some soldiers lead some mules to Springs, leaving the mail station at Butterfield unprotected. So eventually, they burn the Butterfield station down and take away the employees, along with some mules. He then offers the mules and the employees back in return for his family. And in exchange, Bascom says, no, no. go bring me the boy. Yeah, no. Another plan. Cochise then focuses on a wagon train of soldiers that comes up that are leading to a spring. In total, there are nine men. Three are American and six are Mexican. They attack, they ambush. Now, they need the three Americans, but they really don't like the Mexicans. You know, the Johnson Massacre, the Kirker Massacre, the constant murdering that's been going on for about 50 years. Do they kill them? Oh, they sure do. They were less important, and they found that the Mexicans tied up to the wagon wheels and then set the wagons on fire. Awesome. Which is a nice little warning shot to Bascom of remember we're these guys, but also we saved your soldiers. So how about a trade now? Was not a good day to be a Mexican that day. No, it was not. So with that warning shot, Cochise goes back to Bascom and he says, Bascom says, no, bring me the boy. In frustration. He is not budging. Right. He is not budging. Which, you know, he's following his orders. However, <laughs> the death count is kind of piling on here. Do you think he was secretly like going back to his tent like, <gasps> oh my God, <sighs> what am I going to do? Holy oh, crap. Crap, 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 crap. <laughs> He still has like that cut in the tent that's just like, like put together with masking tape, remembering like he's going to come back through that. In frustration, because now coaches and obviously young warriors that are now in his control, they're a little bit anger. So what do they do? 
they kill the prisoners. The Apache kill the prisoners mm. they have. So and those they, two people getting water, those soldiers, yes. everybody. They just decide to execute them all. Not only execute, they mutilate their bodies. And it's unclear. However, it is unclear if Cochise gave the order. I tend to think not because obviously his family his family's involved. involved. Yeah. yeah. However, their bodies are left in the open to be found. In response to the mutilation of the soldiers, they hang Cochise's brother. Bascom has Cochise's brother and his two nephews hung from oak trees. So his wife and his son, Nietzsche, are still in the camp. But Nietzsche is like, mm, we'll say five. He's going to become a bigger deal in Geronimo's episode. Maybe because he just saw some family members get murdered during this event. The revenge tale of the century. It really is. With his relatives killed by the Americans, and quite literally, this just started a blood feud with Cochise. He will spend the rest of his life telling anyone that would listen that the violence that we're about to talk about in the next episode were because of the arrest and the killing of his family. Didn't he bring all his wives? Or just just one? one? I think just one. Just one. Okay. Yep. The timing cannot be worse for the Americans because if I didn't say it, it's 1861 in April. No, in February. Next month is the Civil War. So, yet another major historical event that is going to play well into Apache hands. Where dude's not getting any backup. Not the Americans, but the Apaches still live there. And with that is where we're going to leave this episode. Dun, dun, dun. So, Matt, what, what do you think of Cochise? The little bit we talked about him on? Um, I mean, if my family was captured for something I didn't do, and I tried everything to get them back, I mean, I wouldn't have killed those people. I mean, that kind of sucked. And then they killed my family in retaliation. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can't imagine what's going to happen next. I, I, I only, I'm only envisioning blood. Just blood. You remember when I said next episode is the most violent episode that, <laughs> that we will probably ever have? Yeah, he's PO'd, isn't he? Mm. He's pretty PO'd. And I'm pretty sure... This episode is the most violent episode we've had, too. And we've covered a lot. I mean, if we were to go over kill count, I bet it's pretty high up there. It I don't know ought. about triple digits, but. Mm, it's it's going to get there. <laughs> Keep in mind, this is also the start of the Apache Wars. And it's going to last from 1861 with this cutting the tent incident until like the late. Do you remember Tom Horn in the late 1880s? Yeah. Hunting down Geronimo. Yeah. Same war. Oh, that's right. He chased Geronimo into Mexico. He did. So there's a lot of story left. Awesome. And you will wait until next time. Yes. So anyway, I need to go get another cup of coffee and we'll see you next time. Bye.